Joining us today on Pediatrics Now is Dr. David Hill. He's co-host of the American Academy of Pediatrics podcast, Pediatrics On Call, hospitalist at Goldsboro Pediatrics in Wayne County, North Carolina. He's the author of Dad to Dad, Parenting Like a Pro, and co-author of Parenting Through Separation and Divorce. He's also an editor and speaker. Dr. Hill, it's such an honor to be here with you today in the podcast studio. Thank you so very much, Holly. I'm super excited to be here, and uh, it's, it's fun to be on the other side of the mic for a change. Hey, yeah, it is great, and I, you know, so much of what we do comes back to resources from the AAP, and the AAP says this, and like now to have you here in the podcast studio today, it's just, we're thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much. You, I, I have to clarify, I don't make up most of those resources. <laughs> they, they, just, they just hand them to me. Uh, there's a lot of people <laughs> putting those together. But it, it is really fun to discuss them. And for me, most importantly, uh, I live with kind of a dread of getting behind, right? I mean, once you're out in practice, you're not in residency anymore. You're beholden to yourself and your patients. And I really appreciate that the position they've put me in sort of forces me to keep up with the new stuff because it comes across my desk and I'm supposed to ask coherent questions about it of people who know the answers. And so it like keeps, oh, we have a new, we have a new policy statement. Oh, what does that policy statement say? I should probably do some of that stuff, you know? So are you, you're director of communication as no, well? No, no, no. We, we got people for that. I am just the co-host of the podcast now. Just. I have <laughs> in the past been chair of the AAP Council on Communications and Media. And in fact, my co-host, Dr. Joanna Pargabalinki from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, was just elected to the executive committee of that council. So I am very excited uh, to have her following in my footsteps. Uh, anybody here who's interested in getting deeper into communication or who's interested in the impact of electronic media on child health, which is getting a lot of attention right now, that's the place to be. So if you're already a follower of the Academy, check out the Council on Communications and Media, and anybody can join, and you're going to learn a lot of cool stuff. Tell me more about that. So uh, the council is the, the body within the AAP for fellows uh, who have interests really in two different things. So one is the communicators. And I remember I was actually telling uh, Dr. Kamat here uh, on our drive over about the first day I walked into a meeting of the council, I had uh, done some writing and some broadcasting, and I heard a talk by Dr. Laura Jana, one of our colleagues, and she said, oh, I've written a couple of books, and I do these talks, and I came up afterwards, and I'm like, ah, oh, that's really cool, Laura. I also write, and I would love to do books with the Academy or something, like, how do I start? And she's like, follow me. And so I followed her, and the next place we found ourselves was the official meeting at the NCE, at the National Conference and Exhibition of that council, and I was starstruck. I was seated between Ari Brown, one of our very high-profile authors, and Tanya Rimmer-Altman, another of our very high-profile authors and TV personalities. I couldn't believe this, and since then they have both become wonderful friends and mentors and colleagues. Uh, but at the moment, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm with all these people. Uh, and listened to a, a really neat talk that day. It was on the use of the writing system in the movie industry. Uh, heard a lot about that. And it has been a fascinating ride 
and uh, learn a lot of really cool tips from a lot of people who know how to do this very well. What would you like to say to our pediatric practitioner listeners? I mean, they, they know the value of listening to a medical podcast and getting credit. Is this kind of the way things are going? Because everybody's on the go. You can listen while you're driving or doing something else, stretching. Absolutely. I think very much so. Trying to get everybody into a room on time, as we had to do for much of my training and career. You know, you're spilling your coffee, traffic was lousy, you didn't want to be in the room, you had to get up and use the bathroom, whatever. It's hard. It's hard. But this world where we can learn exactly what we want to learn, exactly when we want to learn it, and if you have tolerance for it at 1.5 or 2 times the the speed (laughs) at which it was spoken. (laughs) Some people talk slow, and I'm good with that, and others I'm like, no, I can't. I can't do that. Um, But, you know, it puts a lot of power in the learner's hand, and I think it's an incredible new world from that standpoint. I'm very excited to, you know, have my little corner of it. Uh, but I, I hope that we are getting information out in ways to people who otherwise just, just wouldn't get it. Or, you know, you, you put your journals, you stack them all up. I'm definitely going to read that thing. And then, you know, there's a big pile and you don't remember what was in January of 2021 that you were going to read that was so important. So hopefully we're getting that information out in a way that people can get it when, where, and how they want. And our brains can hear faster than we can talk, right? So I, I have to confess, I've listened to 2.5, sometimes 3 before when wow. I'm in a real rush. But okay. you, know, you get you, used to the speed. <laughs> your, your brain works extraordinary. I'm very impressed at that. I'm very impressed. And I, I love your podcast. And I listened to the uh, – there's a recent episode, and that's what we're going to talk about today, utilizing social media or the media in general. Yes. Because it can be intimidating, but really using that in the pediatric practitioner, the clinical setting, how can that help? pediatric practitioners. Yeah, that was so much fun. I think you're thinking of episode 152, communicating outside the exam room. And uh, for that one, we spoke with a good and long-term friend of mine, Dr. Todd Wolin of uh, Kids First Pediatrics in Pittsburgh. And they have a professional full-time communications director, Chad Herman, uh, who sat down with us as well. And uh, they feel that Every significant practice needs its own communications director. I don't know (laughs) whether we're ever going to quite get there, but they made a very good case that if you want people in your community to get really solid information about pediatric issues, you need to be the one providing that information, right? And where are they going to get it? Just like our listeners right now, they're going to get it online. So uh, Todd puts a lot of time into getting on TikTok, on Instagram, whatever the social media of the moment is. And Chad kind of drives everybody that direction. Uh, and I would encourage people, of course, <laughs> to pick that up at aap.org slash podcast. Uh, but it was a really good message, and I think it's true. We can all contribute to the conversation. And if you don't like the way it's going, if you're hearing stuff that you think, that's really misguided, people are going to get hurt. People are going to get sick if they hear that and follow it. Then get out there. And tell people how to stay healthy. Tell them what they need to know. Uh, let them get better information. You have it. Because in that five or ten minutes we have with patients, that's really not a, enough to get a lot of those messages out there. No, no. And that's why you really want to become part of that ecosystem 
that's out there. And also, you know, drive people to your practice. Let them know that you're there. You're building, as, as uh, Todd would say, a trust relationship. And that trust relationship doesn't just have to be built in the, in the sadly brief time that so many of us have in the room with the family. They get to know you, you know, through these podcasts. They get to trust you. And they trust you. They've met you. So, so that's a hurdle that you don't have to get over at this point. That's one of the hardest things in communication is building trust with an, art, uh, an audience. You did it. You did it already. That's behind. So build on that and, and keep it going. Absolutely. Being the doctor, you're already in a position, or being the provider, um, to give trustworthy information. Absolutely. And, you know, if you've met your patients, they already know who you are. There's that much more. You know, you say, by the way, I, I was only able to talk to you briefly today about drowning prevention or sunscreen or avoiding mosquitoes or how to use a car seat properly or why it's so important to use a bike helmet. But if you follow me on TikTok, I got a whole thing about that. And I think people think the, the bar has to be so high. I'm a, I'm a big fan, as probably most of our listeners who've, who've ever seen him, uh, Dr. Glockham Flecken, uh, which is the stage name of an absolutely hilarious ophthalmologist. And he works hard. He's, he's trained in communication and humor. He uh, does incredible set pieces, again, just using his own house and found objects, uh, but he works hard at scripting him. And, and the word here, you do not have to be that, that person, okay? The, he's incredible. He's professional. He's got millions of followers. He, he headlines, you know, medical conferences. Everybody loves him. He gives good information as well and is very funny about, you know, the challenges that we all face and different you know, specialties, et cetera. But the point is, you see somebody like that, you're like, well, I'm not that person. I'm never going to learn all these dance moves. I don't have a studio set up. You don't have to. You really don't. You own a mobile phone. It has a forward-facing camera. Just use that. Just say the thing you say in the exam room. You already know how to talk about these things. You got a spiel. You got a pattern. That's all you have to bring. You do not have to be hilarious. You do not have to be gorgeous. You do not have to, you know, have a green screen. Just say what you say the way you normally say it. That's enough. You're out there. You're now beyond one-to-one. And as people find you and, and talk about you and learn about you, you will pick up an audience. And even if that's just an audience of your own patients, you just extended the visit by that much. And that's part of my role here at UT Health San Antonio is with communications and obviously hosting this podcast. But what if you don't have someone, you know, like my background, I was a news reporter, yeah. as we were talking about, and anchor for 10 years, uh, worked at different stations, have a master's degree from... Northwestern, like I have that background. Right. And and what if you, but if you don't have someone on your team to do that, do you have advice? Yeah, I mean, I would go back to the fact that you are already, as a clinician, an expert in communicating with patients. You practice this all day, every day. You have your practiced spiel, right? Here's why we give HPV vaccines starting at age nine. It's going to save lives later on. It works better in younger people. Uh, so I really recommend that your nine-year-old get the HPV vaccine now because we're seeing really amazing drops in the rates of cervical cancer. Uh, and that's something that I really hope for your child, right? You got that spiel. 
You got that, right? You want to buckle your child in safely, even if you're just going to the store, because most accidents occur within, you know, five miles of the home. So don't just do it for, for car trips, right? Uh, you got this. You talk this stuff all day. So, I mean, it's lovely to be professionally produced. I enjoy that on the podcast. <laughs> Joanna and I bobble all the time. We have to back up. We crack each other up. <laughs> and you hear very little of that on the final because our producer, Ann Johnsos, is a miracle worker. Uh, and that's great. But you don't have to do that. And your role with the podcast, is that... In addition to full-time work as a hospitalist, oh, yeah. how do you do? How do you do both? Uh, the the fortunate thing about my work as a hospitalist is that it is shift work. So if I'm there, I'm extremely there, and nothing else is happening. Uh, but when I'm not there, I'm extremely not there, and anything of my choosing can happen. So we schedule around my work. Joanna is uh, a neonatal ICU. Uh, neonatologist at CHOP, and so her schedule is very similar. She's on service, she's on service, and when she's not, she's not. So we're able to find enough places that our schedules overlap. Uh, it's about a one FTE equivalent for each of us because there is the recording, uh, but the recording is not the thing that takes the time. It's really the background. So, you know, we get, for example, one of our favorite bits to do, our favorite segments is First Up, where we look at between three and four really influential new articles in the upcoming issue of Pediatrics. And we rotate that with the three editors of Pediatrics, Editor-in-Chief Lewis First, Deputy Editor Alex Kemper, and then Editor of Digital Media Rachel Moon, who are all brilliant. But that also requires us to process for ourselves three influential articles and often two to three editorials or op-eds that go with those articles so that we know what's important and can sort of pitch it so the editors can then tell us. Uh, we've had really long policy statements, sometimes backed up with technical reports and clinical reports, uh, and we got to read through that each of us, and then one of us will script and pitch it to the other, and the other will see things that, that one of us didn't think of or think of a better way to say it. And so that cycle of really understanding what it is we're about to talk about, background, of course, on the guest. So, you know, we can be like, here's our guest, here's their name, right? I mean, what do they do? Are they important? What's their academic, you know, standing at their institution? Why are they here? Uh, so all that takes a lot of time. And then we go back and we do a separate recording for intros and outros and transitions uh, because first we have to like put the thing together. And so it's, it's a bit of work and we could not do it without significant backing from the American Academy of Pediatrics. I mean, that, that little bit at the end that everybody kind of skips over, you know, producer, executive producer, sound engineer – they're all working really yes. hard. So we get to be up front, but it is absolutely a team, team effort. That's wonderful. When I was a health reporter, you know, in the news industry, it's so fast-paced. And so, you know, a lot of times you're getting your ideas. It's people who are emailing you, doctors who would email you, and, and you sort through, you know, the topics. But it's important, I mean, when you're talking about this, is it, do you advise reaching out to the news media, the TV, newspaper? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the thing about practicing medicine is, first of all, as you know, news is about story, right? you yes. got to tell a story. Before anybody cares 
why do I care? And that's the story. And one of the joys, I, I learned this volunteering in the emergency room at Labonder Children's Hospital when I was 14 years old. I realized I had a ringside seat to all of human drama. And arguably, that's why I'm a pediatrician today. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to leave that theater. I never wanted to walk away from the story and what's going on here. So all of us, every day, are participating in the most dramatic stories and the most heartwarming and the most hilarious stories. And harrowing sometimes. And harrowing. It's all around us. So you have story by the virtue of what you do as a pediatrician. It's right there for you. You also have the ability to process data and know what's important. You know what saves lives. You know what keeps people healthy. You know what trends are maybe not so healthy. You have an understanding of what policy might be helpful and not helpful. And to that point, you are a fantastic messenger. You are the person who can combine solid information with the story that makes it interesting and you ought to go out there. And it's the wonderful thing about media right now that may be horrible as well is it is a giant content-eating machine. Right. It just needs so much content. That's it. It's 24 hours, multiple channels. A frenetic pace, too. It is such a frenetic pace. Uh, and that means that you have what they need. If you have something interesting, and you do, they will snap it up. You can start on your own on whatever social media platform is comfortable to you and just go out there and build an audience. Or, you know, this happened to me. I live in a smaller place, but it will happen to you. You're at the hairdresser and the person next to you is, you know, the evening reporter. You're like, hey, by the way, let me introduce myself. Uh, This is my specialty. This is what I know. And I think you might find this very interesting. All the reporters, you know this from your career, you can, the contact is there at their byline. You see a story you like, you're like, oh, that's interesting. I know something related. Let me contact this person. You can reach out. You can pitch it. And you'll be shocked how often you are successful. Uh, Other things, if you do get one story, provide a little backup information. You know, hey, in addition, here are some resources you might want to send your listeners, readers, viewers to. At the end of the story, here are some, some facts you might want to point out. Uh, at the end. And by the way, if you ever need me again, I'm happy to source. And I just, you know, I get weird sourcing requests at weird hours just because they know I'm going to answer. Making yourself available is a big part of it, right? Yeah, exactly. Just like you, you know this, you get a thing on deadline. I got a file by noon. I just need, and I joke about this, but honestly for local media, uh, they just need me to say one sentence, usually. They need somebody with a stethoscope or a white coat to say something incredibly obvious, and they will traipse over to where I am and carry the sh- camera on their shoulder, set it up, and sit down in front of me, you know, turn the light on. They're like, so, Dr. Hill, what do parents need to know about swimming safety this summer? Always keep your young children within arm's length. Okay, thank you, Dr. Hill. I really appreciate that. Do you have anything else to say? Start your children with swim lessons as early as age one and definitely by age four. All right, that's a wrap. <laughs> you know, we did it. That, that's all. That's all. But I was available, and they just needed to file that video at noon or at five, and they didn't need me to, to give a dissertation on water safety. Uh, they just needed me to say literally one or two sentences. It's a 35-second story. That's all they need, you know. Right, and, yeah, it doesn't take a lot of time. 
And that's crucial, but on that deadline to make yourself avail- available if you're interested right. in that free publicity. Now, I'll, I'll give you a flip side to that. I'll give you the counterpiece to that, which is if it's not a thing you know, send them to somebody who does. Sometimes I've got time to, to ping the AAP press office, and they will be very helpful, by the way, uh, the AAP public publicity office. Uh, definitely talk to them if you have something coming up and you need to know well, where do we stand, what are we saying, what's this about. They will, they will absolutely inundate you with the information that you need. But sometimes it's not my area of expertise, and I know somebody else who could answer this much better than me. Or you'll be put on the spot suddenly, thanks for talking to us about swim safety. A lot of parents are also worried about uh, Lyme disease. What do you have to say about that? Whoa! Hang on, I, I know some stuff about Lyme disease, but I'm going to need to just pull out the Red Book here for a minute. And uh, I, I didn't prepare. You didn't tell me we were going to do Lyme. And Lyme is highly controversial. What are we going to talk about? Are we going to talk about whether people should be on chronic antibiotics for Lyme? Should we be talking about whether people with symptoms of, of chronic fatigue might also have Lyme? I, ah, I may not be your person, and I may not have the data to back up. You know, so... Let me let me send you to somebody in our infectious diseases department who treats this and go right here. It's pretty, you know y'all don't have so much more star you know tick fever and stuff like that here, but ehrlichia and things. But it's just an example. Like you get hit with something like, feel free to say no. Feel free to say I don't know that. You can always say no. Yeah, like, I'll get back with you. I can I can send you to someone who does. Info. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Here's my colleague. You might want to talk to them, but this is not really what I do. So, in addition to being available. Sometimes you can be strategically unavailable in a helpful way. Can you tell us a bit more about yourself, what you like to do in your spare time, Dr. Hill? We, we like in this high stress, high burnout career, it's important to have a life outside of medicine. So, so important. So important. Yeah, several years ago, uh, I, I discovered mindfulness practice. And so that's really critical for me. Uh, the things that help me get up and go back in and do this again or to really appreciate what's around me wherever I am. So uh, my wife and I try to be super active. Uh, we try and do a long bike ride every weekend, but we try and make it fun. We like pick a, a brewery or a place to go to brunch. And well, uh, Wilmington's sort of on a peninsula. So we'll, we live on the riverside. So we'll bike over to the, to the ocean side and get a little bite to eat or something to drink and then bike back to, to where we are. Uh, we run together to train for half marathons and whatnot. Uh, I also love growing things I can eat. So not just vegetable gardens, but like I planted fig trees. I love a fresh fig. Wow. And I'm just watching those guys grow. I put in grapes, olives, raspberries, blackberries, and the joy of like going out every day and being like, okay, it's flowers. Now it's unripe fruit. Look, they're starting to ripen. And the day that I like it to pick it and eat it, it's just like nuts. I've also made a real effort, and I think this is important as a middle-aged dude, uh, to reach out to my male friends. And that's something I'm having to do because we're all very busy in a really concerted, planned way. Uh, not Because if I don't plan it, if I don't send out a doodle poll and be like, hey, here are my times, it doesn't happen. I always have something else to do. Always have something that needs to happen. So if I don't be like, hey, I want to do a happy hour with you, a friend of mine, a guy I'm really just getting to know, better, uh, who's on sort of the same thing, reached out last week and said, uh, hey, you want to go running together? 
And this dude's an ultra marathoner. He is also my age. You're talking about a mid fifties guy who does a hundred kilometer runs. He just knocked out a 26.2 marathon for fun <laughs> last week. I'm not, there wasn't an event. There were no medals. He just went out running and came back 26.2 miles later. And I'm like, David, you sure you want to run with me? He's like, no, we'll have a good time. Difference, he could talk all the way through the run. (laughs) (laughs) But you were there. I stopped after a mile. I was a very good listener. I was like, "Uh uh-huh. You know. You uh, showed up. It's that being intentional and and showing up. Very much. And then after the run was over, we went out for coffee and really opened up to each other about family trauma, things we're working with, dealing with with our age, our kids. Uh, And to me right now, that's so important. Uh, We know it keeps us alive. We know that it really protects our mental health. Naturally, I I love spending time with my wife so much that it's hard to do anything else because she is just an utter joy. Uh, So we cook together, we go out to eat together, we travel together. Uh, but those are, and, and time with my kids too. I've got an 18. We were talking about this before, before we went on, uh, that we both have a child of similar age. So really trying to treasure every moment that my 18 year old wants to spend with me before he goes off to school. And fortunately there are a lot of those moments right now. So we're having some really great deep conversations and, uh, those are all things that just, you know, they recharge me because this is a hard thing to do and it can be exhausting and it can be really depressing if it doesn't go well. And you need that recharge if you're going to bring the kids who need you the best that you've got for them. And prevent that compassion fatigue that can set in or, or help fight it. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the fun thing for me is kids – I mean, this is why I do this. I think this is why everybody does this. They're so much fun. They're yeah. just, there's, there's no, no way you walk in and out of a room without finding at least one moment to really enjoy a sound, a look, somebody's stuffed animal. You know, the way they interact with you every, at every age. Teenagers are fascinating. They're going to tell you something about music or hobbies or social media or something you didn't know. You know, babies are, they're all, there's always a moment where you get to to enjoy being in the presence of a young person. And that alone is mindfulness enough if you take just a second to do it. My favorite quote uh, today is, Take Care of Now uh, yes. by Gandhi. And yeah. I, I just put that up in my kitchen. I, do you have a favorite quote that you'd like to share? Well, that is one. I, I, I have a few actual mantras. And when you think about the, the purpose of, of a mantra in worship, it is centering. And one of, one of the mantras that I will repeat out loud to myself to center is one thing, one thing, one thing. My, my call at my, at my primary job at uh, UNC Health Wayne in Goldsboro rarely comes in too hard and too fast for me to deal with. I mean, every now and then, you know, 26-week-old twins are born and we have a level two nursery. So, I mean, it gets hairy, but usually things come in at a manageable pace. On the other hand, I also sometimes staff uh, UNC Children's Health at uh, Novant New Hanover Regional Medical Center in Wilmington, and that is, we. the difference is when we ship kids out and at Novant New Hanover, we bring them in. 
And so people are calling me from all over, you know, asking, can we get this kid to you? Can you take him? Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, we got three EDs sending them to us, and they all arrive at once. And that's really the moment where I have to say one thing. And I will literally say it to myself aloud. One thing. This is the sickest, most urgent person I am going to that room. And I know that there are 12 other things that need to be done. Once I have been fully present in that room, figured out what needs to happen, I will go to the next room. And then I will answer the next page. And then I will see the newborn who's having a little bit of trouble. And then I will go to the admission that is not so urgent. But I can only let my head be in one of these at one time as long as you're, you know, ordering them. <laughs> the, the triage is important in that process. But I do. And I say it aloud and I'm like, <sighs> one thing. And I will say it repeatedly. One thing, one thing, one thing. And that actually gets me through the night, hopefully having prioritized things and taking care of all of those one things, you know, at each time so that when I sign out in the morning, uh, all the important stuff's done, you know? Because otherwise it could become overwhelming. Oh, utterly, utterly. And it, it, it threatens to be. It really does. I mean, I think anybody who's done this job would be lying if they said that they don't get I mean, you get one child in clinic who was billed as something simple and it turned out not to be simple. And now you're in here for an hour and a half doing coordination of care and the nurse is tapping on the door. You're getting a little, you know, pop up on your screen that says you're an hour and a half behind. People are threatening to leave. They have to be at work. Their kid has to be back at daycare, you know, and you're like, can somebody help me? No, they're also busy. I mean, whatever you're doing in this job, there are moments where you have to take the breath and go one thing. I'm with this child right now. They need me right now. Hopefully whoever walks out of this clinic because I was in here had a cold and was going to be fine anyway. But I won't know that till I'm out of this room, and I just have to be present at this moment. And that breath helps to center you. I, it does for me, very much so. I mean, I will literally box breathe, which is, you know, the Navy SEAL. Uh, if I'm doing an urgent procedure, you know, I've got an umbilical vein catheter, for example, and it's getting caught up and hung up and not going the right direction. And I just, like, I will box breathe through that thing. Because this kid needs access. Usually if I'm doing it, they need access now. And I find, okay, i got to get my heart rate down. And I've been doing this for a minute. I, I You know, I, I did not just start this yesterday. But even then, that urgency, the, the ease of getting frustrated, especially if the stakes are fairly high, it's a moment of like, okay, really, this is such a cliche. But you do have to put your own oxygen mask on first. got to like, okay. Let's get control of my breathing, of my heart rate, of my blood pressure. Let's pull out, take another pass, you know. Your book on co-parenting after separation and di divorce, that's yeah. a, a complicated and tough uh, topic. What inspired you to write that? You know, it was a very personal topic for me. At the time that I wrote Dad to Dad, Parenting Like a Pro for the Academy, publishing staff knew that part of my inspiration was that I was going through a separation and being a single dad at that time and realizing, wow, we need somebody to talk to us. There's a lot of us out here. And so the Academy actually approached me and said, we have this amazing psychologist, Dr. Jen Blackstone, who's an expert in issues of divorce and co-parenting, and we think you guys should do a book together. And she's the person who invented the term bonus parent, which I absolutely love. So, uh, What does that mean? Uh, bonus parent is the idea of taking like the, the step parent, right? 
And step-parent just has this connotation that's just negative. I am one. I'm married to one. It's like, ah, step-parent. It just doesn't come off well. And Dr. Blackstone found this as well. She's like, you know, it's not a step, but you're also not an original parent. You're an add-on. You have something new and different to contribute to this relationship, to, to raising a child. And so she coined this term, bonus parent, bonus child, as this positive take on what is this relationship? What can it be? I love that. And I learned so much about how to manage my own life by researching and writing this book uh, with Jan. And it was really very centering. And for people who might be going through the experience, I, I have a close friend who reached out and said, Dave, about your book, can I get a copy? And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, why do you want the book? You know, ah, darn, I'm so sorry. Some may be going through conflict and uh, someone who's not very nice to them or a yeah. jerk. Do you have any advice there? I mean, there's, like we talked about, there's, there's no benefit to being a jerk or a jerkette no. to someone. <laughs> Absolutely not. And I think the, the hope that Jan and I have, and that really everybody who does this has, is that once you're centering your attention on the child, you can sort of put away the petty stuff. Nobody has to win Nobody, there's, there's not a zero-sum game around love. The child's not like, sorry, I gave your mom too much love and I don't have any for you, right? It's, it's, it's like hugs. You don't lose a hug when you give a hug. Uh, and it's so infinite. there's It's love as infinite. Is. You got as many hugs as you got time to give them. And so you don't have to win this. You don't have to compete. There's no reason not to share the date and time of the next soccer game with the other parent. There's no reason not to make sure everybody has a copy of the report card and the teacher feedback and can sit down together without it being World War III to, you know, have a school conference or, you know, go to a ballet recital or whatever. For gosh sake, there's a child there. And this child, I now have young adult children. And, you know, we're going to graduations. Eventually, maybe we're going to be going to weddings and births. And they're not going anywhere. Your relationship lives as long as your child and both of you live. And so invest in making it as decent as it can be, right? And at the same time, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. <laughs> right, right. You know, and it is, it is a moment for mindfulness. Like, let's get together on this one thing and figure out what's going to be best for the child. And sometimes, obviously, if you're coming from incredibly different uh, perspectives, you may need somebody, a third party. You may need a counselor or a therapist or a pediatrician. You know, I've had that. I think a lot of people in outpatient practice have had that. You know, mom and dad are sitting in the office, ha whether they're divorcing or not, having a really big disagreement over an issue. I don't know, Doc, what do you think? And he said, well, here's what the literature shows. Here's what the academy says. This is what we find has helped a lot of families. And, you know, I hope that helps. We are all in this together. And I don't think I really know a thing anybody doesn't know. So I think the great joy for me is when we lean on each other. Uh, I've got another full-time hospitalist that I trade call with. And uh, it is such a joy at sign out and sign in, or even when he just went off shift and I pick up a kid and I'm like, wait a second, I'm, what's, what's going on here, you know, to, to reach out and say, hey, you know, tell me, tell me your thoughts here. I, I, if I'm ever the smartest kid in the room, I'm in the wrong room. Uh, <laughs> and I think that is the joy of being in this profession is there is so much wisdom and so much goodwill around us that in addition to the fun of kids, I think the fun of our colleagues 
really makes this just a joyful thing to do. And so lean into it. Be that person, enjoy that person, and just just soak it up. It's a tremendous privilege. Dr. Hill, thank you for being here today on Pediatrics Now. Thank you, Holly. Such a joy. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Pediatrics Now. Click on the link for free credit if you're a practitioner. You can also email us with questions or episode ideas. That address is pediatricsnow at uthscsa.edu. We release a new episode every Friday. I'm Holly Wayment. I hope you can join us for our next episode. Thanks for listening.